when he gave me life. I was dead in my sins, hopeless, any dream of life crushed. In the grip of darkness, without any true source of light, chose me when I had nothing to offer him, but that's who he is. His love flowed through my soul. He said, awake, awake. Good to be with you. Isn't it amazing to see so many people here to celebrate our risen Savior? So good to see you all here this Easter Sunday and to celebrate it with so many of you over this whole weekend. Now, on Easter weekend, there's, there's two overarching themes that we, we tend to focus on. And the first one is on Good Friday, where we remember the finished work of Jesus on the cross, that he was God's solution to what is wrong with the world. In our mourning for the pain, the suffering and death that our Savior endured, it's a mix of wishing that no one ever would have to face that type of condition. But it's also the recognition that it was our sin that put him in that place. On Easter Sunday, it is all about the power and authority. It's his resurrection and overcoming power and the authority that he has, not just over sin, but over death as well. Now, between the finished work of the cross and the power and the authority over death, when we pay particular attention to it, it speaks to the very fact that there was another power that was defeated and overcome. This power dates back to the very beginnings of our humanity. Now, the cross is often referred to as a tree, but there's an earlier tree that is also involved in our need for redemption, and it's found in Genesis 3. Now, the serpent, who is more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made, he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the, tree, the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, in authority, God had said something specific to Adam and Eve. 
Eat from any tree in the garden except this single tree. And no, it was most likely not an apple tree. But how amazing and how powerful is that generosity that God gave? Everything, the entire garden that he created, they could explore, they could live in, they could manage, they could eat from, except for that one tree. Satan uses his power, though, to draw Eve's attention, not from the bounty that God had given them, but to the single thing that he had reserved from them seeking to erode Eve's trust in God. What had been a settled trust, there was no need or concern to go near the tree. They were, they were well within their bounds and enjoyed the rest of the garden until that, that seed of doubt was planted. The enemy knows how to sow seeds of doubt and mistrust. But whatever God works to establish the enemy looks to, sub, to subvert and to erode. And this was true for the first followers of Jesus as it was for us today as well. Imagine, in the wake of the disciples scattering in fear because of an unknown future, Jesus had been arrested and taken, taken to, the, to the religious leaders and to the Roman authorities. Imagine what was taking place in their hearts. Whose power we trust fluctuates when Jesus isn't where we think he should be. The crown of thorns that he would wear was not the crown that his disciples thought he was going to be wearing when he had entered into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And one week later, the following Sunday, what's happening but a group of women are going to a tomb with ointments for burial. They, did never, they never saw that coming. They believe that Jesus is buried in a tomb and he needs to be properly embalmed there. Jesus may not always be where we expect, expect him to be, but he's always where we need him to be. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And Satan, a fallen angel, he seizes on moments like this of perplexity to sow doubt about God. But on Resurrection Sunday, two other angels, they seized the moment to glorify God. Because while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and to be crucified and to rise on the third day. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. See, Matthew in his gospel, he says they, they depart with joy, but with great fear. 
But then Jesus meets them, and the fear is gone. If their trust had been strong, they could have just subdued that fear. But the fear mingled with joy shows doubt. And here's where Jesus exhibits remarkable compassion by meeting them while they doubted and while they trembled so as to remove all remaining doubt. This wasn't the first time you would do it. Now, the disciples, they would hardly believe that the women, what they, would say, what they said when they spoke of seeing a risen Jesus. And Luke 24 says, these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Because where trust wanes, doubt increases. Our trust in Jesus' power fails and falters when Jesus isn't where he, we think he should be. In our problems, in our issues, when we want Jesus just to solve them, and he, he doesn't solve them right away when we expect him to. When we feel tempted, and we feel like it's going beyond what we can actually bear, and we say, Jesus, where are you? I'm supposed to be able to just get through this. When it doesn't lead, lead us to lean further into God or to start looking for contingencies, it becomes in belief, unbelief. Absence, the absence of doubt. It isn't that the absence of doubt that is necessary to overcome because his presence actually isn't a problem. It's where it directs us that becomes problematic. Where does your doubt lead you? Does it lead you closer to Christ and to lean more into what you need to trust in him? Or does it lead you to look for answers elsewhere? It's now Sunday night. Doubt has driven the disciples to disbelief. John 20, 19 says this, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were, for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. What a roller coaster of emotions that day must have been. In the morning, they found themselves staring at an empty tomb. The women claimed to have seen angels in the risen Lord. And by evening, they're locked away in fear and doubt. And then Jesus just appears in front of them, almost to say, why are you locked away? Did you not know what I came to do and what I said I was going to do? But watch what Jesus does next. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. What a powerful reversal God commands through the resurrection. Fear and doubt about God, they drive us to places that we are not created to live in. And Jesus goes into that room, not so much to be in the room, but to get the disciples out. Because here's the thing, church. We were not made to live in fear, but to live out our faith. We were not made to live in doubt, but to live out our trust. 
We were not made to live insecure, but to live out of the abiding love of the Father. And here's the thing. We think this is only for them. This was only in that moment for them and not for us. But watch what happens next. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. And so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the hands and the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hands into his side, I will never believe. And for eight days, eight days, what Thomas felt was powerful, but it wasn't true. He thought it was, but it wasn't true. And what Jesus did for the 11, he does for Thomas. And watch the promise at the end. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put your... Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not believe, disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord, my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. whether it's eight days here later or almost 800,000 days later, which is today, even though you haven't seen him, you are blessed when you believe that Jesus of Nazareth is your crucified and risen Lord and Savior, the overcomer of sin, death, hell, and the world, the Son of God, and your soon and coming King. And even if you've given into doubt and and mistrust, there is good, good news. In Genesis 3, in that same chapter that we read about Adam and Eve and the tree, God made a promise that in Christ he fulfilled. He says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You see, Jesus was wounded but he is now risen. Jesus was bruised, but he is now our healer. Jesus was crucified, but he was never conquered. Jesus is our savior and he is Lord of all. Resurrection power is all about dying to self and being alive in Christ. No matter what we have done that we feel disqualifies us. And even though Christians and churches have done some horrible things in God's name, our hope is anchored not in what we've done, but in what Jesus has done and is doing. Our humility is in him, still at work, getting us out of places that we should never have been in as the church and as individuals. 
Romans 16:20 says it this way, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. So when you are tempted, turn and run to Jesus. Then the adversary will be defeated. If you feel if you feel trapped by fear and doubt, Jesus has come to get you out of that place. Trust that he is forever good. And even when Jesus isn't where you think he should be, he is where you need him to be. In life, there will be a myriad of things that our, our adversary will place in front of us to try and cast doubt, to replace trust, to erode our relationship with God. And as followers of Jesus, we need to take on the mindset of David, who though he commanded armies, put his, play, his trust elsewhere because some will trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Amen. Amen. We trust in the only one, the only person with power who could lay down his life because he alone had the authority to pick it back up. Sometimes Jesus isn't where we think he should be, but he's always where we need him to be. Today, what doubts do you have that you need to let go of so you can put your trust in God? Where have you put your trust that is an empty substitute of him? What insecurity about yourself or the world blinds you from experiencing the abiding love and freedom of Christ? Today, maybe you need to hear this, that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of the Lord. Today is the day for freedom. I invite you to begin your journey of following Jesus today if you have not done so. I invite you to lay down your fears, your doubts, your insecurities and failures, your sin and your shame. Lay them down at the foot of the cross because our Savior is not on that cross. He is risen again and conquered all of those things. And when you lay them down at the foot of the cross before him, he takes on all that for you. So beautiful. Because when we are found in him, there's nothing that could separate us from the love of our God. Jesus, the Son of God, in his life, death, and resurrection have made possible that salvation. He turned our graves into gardens. God, we just thank you. We thank you for what you've done for us. God, for everyone in the room who's already counted on you for salvation, God, we stand and say yes and amen. Another year of remembering your goodness. And for those that are in the room that may be giving their lives to you for the first time right now, God, we just pray your healing in their life. We pray your forgiveness in their life, your cleansing in their life, your Holy Spirit to fill them 
as they begin to follow you and walk with you each day, putting their trust and their faith in you. God, we thank you. We thank you so much that you did not just die on the cross, but you died for our sin, and then you rose again, our living Savior.